we all know that one of the biggest film franchises in the world, obviously you think about MCU, you think about Star Wars, you think about DC, James Bond, but you cannot have a conversation about the biggest, most significant film franchises if you don't also include in that conversation Harry Potter. Now, I myself am not a big Potterhead, Rob. My wife is. My wife's a huge Potterhead. I'm not, but I enjoy the Harry Potter movies. I like them. Well, it looks like HBO Max, which we know is all sorts of desperate right now, (laughs) uh, but it looks like they are now in the early stages of developing a live-action Harry Potter TV series. Yes, a live-action Harry Potter TV series. This just came out this morning. Uh, This is coming to us from the folks over at Variety, and they write the following. A Harry Potter series is in very early development at HBO Max, Variety has learned from sources. Rumors that a show set within the Wizarding World uh, have persisted for some time. Now it seems those plans are moving ahead. The plans are now moving ahead. Though no writers or talent are currently attached to the project, there is no word yet on what the focus of the show would be or what part of the Harry Potter timeline it would focus on should the series move ahead. Variety's reached out to HBO Max and Warner Brothers for a comment uh, and will update should they respond. So now listen, Rob, we've been talking about recently the whole I I did about the we found out only recently just how badly HBO and their viewership dropped off once there was no more Game of Thrones to watch. Like we knew there would be some. We didn't realize how much it would be. Variety reported a week or two ago that the numbers was actually a 51 percent drop in their main viewership demographic, almost 40 percent of their overall viewership. 40% of their overall viewership has disappeared since there was no more Game of Thrones to watch. And we know they haven't had the surge in HBO Max since that they were really hoping for anywhere near it. So now they're reaching for the really popular stuff, right? They moved up Kong versus Godzilla, which was actually a good move. Moving that up was a good move. We now know they're producing two Game of Thrones prequels. And now a Harry Potter. Rob, this is a franchise that just started ticking at the billion dollar mark when these things would come out. It seems to make a lot of sense. The Fantastic Beats series, which I don't think has been all that bad. I haven't liked it as much as a lot, but I particularly like the last one. But it hasn't been getting the attention or the buzz that the Harry Potter universe generally seems to get. Developing a Harry Potter series is a little bit of a risky thing because, you know, you're risking the the reputation of the IP and everything, but that is a risk worth taking. Doing a live action series seems to be a no brainer. Maybe it'll backfire. Maybe it won't. Rob, you're hearing about this this morning, too. What are your thoughts on the idea? Is this a good move for HBO at this point, doing a Harry Potter series? And do you think it will actually come to fruition? Bruh. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic idea, especially if you get the original cast back and you make it an adult show. You know, I mean, it, 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 the, the Harry Potter audience has grown up with Harry Potter. They're now in their 20s and 30s. And, and let's face it, who doesn't like Harry Potter? We're all, we're all Harry Potter fans to some extent. If you were to bring back as much of the original cast as you can and tell a story about uh, uh, what are these care? I mean, they've did that with the cursed child, but really, and I don't mean going game of Thrones with necessarily the sex and the violence, but a real adult show. Uh, I think it would be a monster hit, especially if JK Rowling oversees it all. And, and she handpicks her collaborators 
and they do something that is unique and interesting and canonical, I, I think it's a no-brainer. Um, I would watch it, and I think it's what HBO needs. I think it's it, it's it's like Amazon getting Lord of the Rings, doing a new HBO series, or do uh, it would be I think it'd be incredible. And you use the show to rebrand HBO Max. Mm. You launch, you relaunch it as as Warner Brothers Plus or Warner Brothers Gold or Warner Brothers whatever. And you you that's where you you get away from HBO because in every idiot that that has not paid any attention to HBO Max, you rebrand your look, Paramount Plus is rebranding, CBS is rebranding to Paramount Plus, start a new Harry Potter show, announce it, and when it debuts, you rebrand HBO Max to Warner Brothers, whatever. Yeah, which is really something they should have done right from the beginning. Yep. So I think, look, that's a massive assumption, though, that if they do a show, that they would do it with the original cast. I mean, because I I think there's only like maybe a 30% chance they could get the original cast back to do a HBO series. But let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, if you can get the actual now grown up adult original cast of Harry Potter back... That'll be huge. That'll be Dude, huge. it's it's AT&T will back that truck of money up. It's what they but, want. But will they? Will they? Because really, when you break it down on return on investment, when you break down the ROI on it, how much money can you actually put into it? So the question then becomes if they do is it still worth it for them to do a Harry Potter that is like set at Hogwarts? but doesn't involve the original cast. Like, is this still a good idea trying to capitalize on the IP if they don't use the original cast? What do you think about that? Um, it depends. You know, I think, I think it depends. If you're going to do a Harry Potter series, you do what they should have done with the Star Wars universe. You make your first season with the original cast, you back up that money truck to them, and then you use that original cast to introduce the cast that will move forward and then you can bring back the original cast when you need them, you know, and, and it's something that by design, uh, starts out with the original cast. And if it does well, they can see, but at the same time, I mean, you know, Hogwarts, the new cat, the new, I I mean, I really, I want to know, you know, and fantastic beats touches on this. I want to know if you're Harry Potter and you're a wizard, what do you do for the rest of your life? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like you've gone through Hogwarts, like you work what at is, the Ministry of Magic, Rob. Yeah, That's where work, everybody I, goes. I, I, I mean, I want to know if what if what if you're a wizard and you're not Voldemort, but what if you're like what if you're like I don't know, like diabolic or something? You're or Lupin. You're a criminal, or you're a you're just a dude like a mercenary out in the world using your magic to like I don't know get rich and help people at the same time. I mean, there's so many things that you could do with that universe. And and show us that because all we know of that universe, I mean, Fantastic Beasts have done a good job of showing us the world. But I want to see, like, what if you're a wizard like now, dude? What if you're a movie pundit, but you also went to Hogwarts? What's that like? Yeah. What's your regular job if you're not working at the Ministry of Magic or a wand shop? What what else? Yeah, what like, else can you do? But what here's you're going to do. Here's another big question for this, Rob. Now, again, I, I say this as somebody who's not a major Potterhead. Uh, and I don't want to go into the to the TMZ-ness of it all, but the question sure. will come up. What role does J.K. Rowling play in this? Because let's face it, 
Harry Potter is only Harry Potter because of J.K. Rowling. I mean, she created yeah. that whole world. She shepherded every single movie. Um, it, it is, and she owns the whole damn thing. It's hers. It belongs to her. It's one of those properties that Warner Brothers was not able to actually get the rights for from the owner. She is still the final word. Even at Universal City Walk, like they have the whole Harry Potter world, which is great, by the way. But she had to approve every detail, all kind of stuff. Of course, JK has come under some criticism lately. We're not going to go into all the reasons why. That's We'll leave that for TMZ garbage things to cover. But she has come under some fire recently. Do you move forward? Like I, I personally, from a creative point of view, I don't see how on earth you do Harry Potter without J.K. Rowling, the creator, the writer, the person who is the ultimate boss of the whole thing. I don't know if you can do it without her. How do you say, do you think this is going to be a factor at all? Do you think this is an issue or do you think this is really a non-issue? Oh, no, I think it's going to be a factor. And I think, you know, we have to stand up to, to ideological fascism. You know, you have to come out and say, look, man, uh, we have a complicated, difficult world. And I think what, what happens, what's going to start to have to happen is somebody might have views that you don't like. And, and I think we have to start having a dialogue about how do we get along? If you don't like someone's idea, what are you going to do? Banish them to the cornfield like in the Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life? We all have to talk about these things. And by the way, use the new show to address it. Make, make some of the stories about the, that very thing where, where you, can, you can attack these issues head on. You know, I mean, and what better way to do it? That's what Star Trek and the Twilight Zone did in the 60s. Those difficult epi- uh, uh, issues that you couldn't, you couldn't direct, you couldn't address head on and say a regular TV show. Because standards and practices wouldn't let you like you couldn't talk about the Vietnam War uh, on TV, but you could have an episode of Star Trek called A Private Little War where you've got the villagers and the hill people. I mean, astute viewers realized, oh, I get it. This is a Vietnam allegory. And you could deal with those tough issues, but in the context of a fantasy show. And that's what great science fiction and fantasy and to a certain extent horror does. It, 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 it deals with those difficult societal issues within the context of a science fiction fantasy context. And Harry Potter's perfect for that. You know, kids are getting older. They become adults. What happens? Like when you're dealing with different points of view, what happens when you can have schisms in Hogwarts based on ideological principles? Or, or I, I think you absolutely could do a show and make her at the forefront of it. Why not? All right, guys. Question is, what do you think about this news coming out on Variety this morning? That looks like HBO Max is trying to put together a Harry Potter series. Can you make it work? I think everybody would agree this could be huge if it's all the original actors. I have my doubts they, that it would go that way. I don't know if they can get everybody. Is it still something that will get people excited if it's set at a different time or a different set of characters within the Hogwarts world? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, let's now get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, that's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Anytime you come across a big issue, topic, or story that you think should be a main issue here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's completely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, 
Let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Diego Maguino, who writes, I loved the first Quiet Place movie. Dude, that was like my movie of the year. That was my favorite movie of the year, the year that it came out. Uh, I love the first Quiet Place movie, so I'm very excited about the sequel. Unsurprisingly, the movie has been delayed to September of 2021. I know you also love the first film, so what are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate it. And yes, the, A Quiet Place the year came, what was it, 2017, I think was the year it came yeah. out? It was my number one film of the year. A Quiet Place was my number one favorite film of the year. It caught me so delightfully by surprise. I, I couldn't believe the job that John Krasinski did with it. And uh, yes, obviously this was a movie that was supposed to come out last year. It hasn't come out and that's understandable. And unsurprisingly, we just found out it moved. We've been expecting it to move because of where it was supposed to fall. And now it seems to have found a pretty good date in September. This comes to us from Variety who writes... Paramount's post-apocalyptic thriller directed by John Krasinski and starring Emily Blunt, his wife, uh, has been postponed for a third time. It will now open in theaters on September 17th. A Quiet Place 2 was initially slated to release last March, but those plans were abandoned in the 11th hour as the health crisis first started to grip the United States. It was most recently moved to April 23rd. However, that date recently started to look unlikely considering the coronavirus cases still on the rise. All right, that comes to us, of course, from the folks at Variety. And again, this part of it really comes as no surprise because we've been saying on this show recently that I have the most optimistic outlook. And I think under the most most optimistic, idealistic scenarios, we see maybe mid to late May, uh, having some, maybe being more feasible, probably more realistic June, July, maybe even a little bit later than that. So movies that were supposed to come out in, you know, March or April, not surprised they're getting moved. So that's fine. September seems like a really good date for a movie like this. I, I think this is an exceptional date that they have set up for it. And I think that's going to work. I think it's going to be wonderful, all that kind of stuff. Now, let's focus just on A Quiet Place 2 for a second, because we haven't done this in a while. I am so fascinated. There are a lot of movies that get made, Rob, that don't need a sequel. And certainly, you, I could make the argument that no movie in the history of Hollywood has ever needed to be made. Right. But I have been fascinated with this one because they just really, they talk about this global event, right, that happens. Th these creatures come, blah, blah. But they really just tell it from the perspective of this one family. There is so much story to be told here. What brought this on? How did it begin? How does it resolve? How does different parts of the world? I mean, there's just a lot of stories that could be told within this world. And with the job that John Krasinski did on the first one, sign me up for the second. So I'm incredibly excited about this. So yeah, not surprised they moved the date. We had been expecting it. I like September as a release date for it. I do think they're going to be able to make that date. Especially, Rob, I don't know if you, have you seen in the news, I should, I should bring this up. I put this out on Twitter yesterday. Did you see what like the Miami Heat are doing now for their games and everything? Did you see my tweet about this? No. So the Miami Heat apparently are doing something what the Super Bowl is also going to be doing, which is the Miami Heat have started using coronavirus sniffing dogs. And they have the dogs go through the line. And if you don't have coronavirus, they walk right by you. If, they, if you do, if they come to somebody who does have it, they sit in front of them. 
and then they remove the person. And the what what uh, which university? One of the bigger university schools of medicine did a research thing on this, and they found it to be ninety four percent accurate. Wow, ninety four percent accurate. These dogs, and apparently they're going to use this at the Super Bowl, where they're saying they're going to have twenty two thousand people. Anyway, that's a side issue. Rob, let me ask you this. Quiet Place 2 was supposed to come out a long time ago. Now we've got a new release date, September. I think it's pretty solid there. I mean, you never know. Everything changes day by day. But at this point, with a movie that was supposed to come out that long ago, are you still excited for A Quiet Place 2? And should the rest of the audience be at this point? Dude, that trailer was dope. Both those trailers were dope. I mean, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be great. <laughs> you know, for me, it, it always comes down to my 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 go-to position is I want every movie to be great. Now, I'm not naive, and it's not like I'm some kumbaya, oh, movies are great. I really <laughs> want all movies to be great. I really do. But the whole thing to me is, is, is a good story and is a good characters because, you know, sometimes your sequels are The Empire Strikes Back, you know? And, 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 um, and for those of you who don't quite get that, what I'm saying is that they turn out to be really, really good and accentuate the original. And looking at the trailer for A Quiet Place 2, I'm like, well, this looks really cool. Like, you know, I, I'm in and I want it to be good. And I think, look, you know, it's how long was there between Terminator came out in 84 and Terminator 2 came out in 91? You know, if it's good and there's a good idea, I'll wait. Good things come to those who wait, John. Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, too, we've been hearing about some other films being bumped to like 2022. So yeah. if this thing, I mean, we knew being in April, it was going to get bumped again being in April. I'm just very thankful it only got pushed to September. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Question is for you guys. What do you think about A Quiet Place 2 now getting a new release date? Not terribly far off. It's going to now be in September. Are you still excited about it? Or has your enthusiasm been, been wearing off? Because it's like, man, we've been waiting for this movie for so long. At some point, you got to have it come out. But it's coming in September. What do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Aaron Thibodeau. Thibodeau, I'll go with. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, Aaron. And Aaron writes, Hey, John and Rob, I just read an article that said that both Netflix and Apple made offers to Paramount to buy Top Gun 2 uh, to put on their streaming platforms, but Paramount rejected both of them and apparently want to keep it as a theatrical film and are willing to move their release date again rather than put it on streaming. What this, uh, what does, uh, was it, was this the right move by Paramount and why are more studios turning Netflix and streamers down? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And, uh, yeah, there was a story that just came out, um, that basically was that both Apple TV plus, which is trying to become a, the newest big player in the game here. And they've got all the money in the world to put behind it, but Apple and Netflix both approached Paramount and made offers, apparently, to pick up Top Gun. This is what comes to us from the folks over at Cineblend who write, a source told the Wall Street Journal that both streaming services, this is Netflix and Apple, inquired about distributing the film for the studio instead uh, of the Top Gun sequel possibly making the decision to delay its release again, but... 
Paramount Pictures is determined to bring the movie to the theaters. The sequel starring Tom Cruise cost over $150 million to produce, and under the circumstances pre-COVID, it has the makings of being a billion-dollar hit. That, of course, comes to us from Cineblend, reporting on a story from the Wall Street Journal. All right. So why would a studio like Paramount turn down Netflix and Apple and, and whatever? It, it's basically because of this when we when we do the math. For a movie like Top Gun, this is a movie. Now, not all movies have huge, massive back box office potential. They don't all have that same potential. But when you get movies like Top Gun, right? Uh, let me just put this to why turn down Netflix. When you have movies like Top Gun or you have some other bigger movies that have let's just say bigger upsides for what they could potentially make at the box office. Uh, let's go over to, I wasn't planning on doing this, but let, let's go over to the, the campy classroom here for a second. Why turn down Netflix? Well, here's the thing. Uh, right now, uh, Netflix and others are offering uh, prime movies. We're talking about premium movies, like larger scale movies, prime movies around uh, tops of uh, 200 million, all right? So right now you have these streaming services that I think the biggest number we've heard, Rob, so far for an acquisition from one of the streamers has been 200 to $250 million in that neighborhood. Right. Yeah, so I think that's been the top dollar they're willing to spend. Uh, why not offer more? Well, the reason they can't offer more is because the streaming services have to consider return on investment. Like, how much money can we assume that we're going to make off of this one movie we're making an offer of? Not 50 movies, but this one movie. If we put up $200 million, can we expect that this one movie by itself will generate $200 million in revenue for us over the course of five years? Uh, will one single movie do that? And for some movies, they think maybe there's a chance they can. For some movies, they think they can't. That is why Bond wanted $600 million. Remember this, Rob? Oh, yeah. They, they, they tried to buy it from, um, uh, from the studio. They wanted James Bond No Time to Die on the streaming services. But Bond said, okay, we can talk, but the conversation has to start at $600 million. Which, when you then go back and you look at, again, ROI, return on investment, that is just something that those streaming services can't do. There's no way they can purchase a movie at anywhere near that price and expect to make that money back for that one particular movie on their service. They know that's impossible. That's why, right now, they've been topping out at around $200 million. The problem, of course, is... If you have a movie that isn't really sure it's going to be able to break even, $200 million is a good deal. Then you go, okay, you know what? We were thinking this movie wasn't going to make much money anyway. There hasn't been the buzz for it. We don't think we can get much in the theaters. It might even take a loss. You know what? Sure. Sure, streaming service. We'll give, you, we'll give it to you for $180 million or $150 million or $200 million, whatever. The problem is uh, movies like Top Gun could not will could uh make one billion if they are willing to wait 
If the studio has the patience and is willing to wait, a movie like Top Gun could, not will, but could have an upside of a billion dollars. If that's the case, now you're talking about a profit margin of like 500 million bucks. That's huge. That's profit. I mean, if they took 200 million from Apple or whatever, maybe they'll break even. Maybe they'll break even at that point. So it becomes a really difficult balancing act they have to walk. And by the way, Chris West in the live chat just put in a super chat badge. Thank you for that, Chris West. We appreciate that, man. So it becomes a little bit of a balancing act. Rob, I don't blame Netflix or Apple approaching these studios and saying, hey, you got a big movie because you know what? If Apple or Netflix could get a Top Gun 2 for 200 million bucks, that's a, from Netflix's point of view, I think that's a decent deal. I think that's a good thing for them. But I can completely see why a Paramount would look at that and say, we would be throwing hundreds of millions of dollars away if we did that. So I can kind of understand them doing that. Rob, from both points of view, do you think Netflix and Apple TV making an offer was a wise offer to make that getting a movie like Top Gun 2 is a good investment for them? And then oppositely, what do you think about Paramount turning that down? And was them turning that down the right move for them at this point? How do you see this? Well, one, I think, you know, with with CBS All Access announcing they're now rebranding as Paramount Plus, well, they're going to need their marquee movies as well. That's true. So, yep. so, so Top Gun is Maverick is definitely going to be one of them that they would pair up with their original Top Gun. That's that's a complete legacy property, and now that they're going to go into the streaming service by themselves, they need that. On the other hand, who knows when that's going to be, and who know who knows how that's going to take off? We don't know. So, I think obviously both Apple and Netflix could benefit, but like you pointed out. You know, this is a movie that people are waiting for. It looks, judging from the trailers, like a real big screen experience, an IMAX experience. It looks like the perfect movie to get people to come back to the theaters because they're getting a visual experience that they just simply couldn't get on a small screen at home. Big sound, big uh, big images. So I think Paramount really feels that they've got something that's worth a billion dollars, if not more. This is a film that's going to translate internationally. People are going to go see it. It's a great legacy title. I think if Paramount, if they have one thing coming out that can make them a billion dollars and make a big splash internationally in theaters, it's this movie. And so I totally understand why they did not. Even, even John, even if the money made sense, like you talk about No Time to Die, or yeah, No Time to Die and what they wanted and the profit that you're going to make. This movie is putting Paramount back in as a major player at the global cinema, which is where they need to be. And they need to make an announcement to the world. Like, I know we've been sort of a moribund studio for the last couple of years, but yo, we got the good son. We're coming out blazing, literally, with and our you know what? jet engines. You brought up a really good point, too. You know, like, it, it's not that this is just a, a movie that, people are willing to wait for. And by the way, shout out to Cobra Kai never dies who put in like a $20 uh, super chat in the live chat board. Thank you for that. Cobra Kai. Um, This is a movie people have already been waiting 20 plus years for Right? (laughs) people have been waiting over 20 years already. Paramount's looking at this and thinking they'll wait another nine months. 
They'll wait another eight months. I mean, this is literally something we have waited for some people. They've gone their entire lifetimes between yep. when the first Top Gun movie came out and when they're talking about the second one. So, yeah, and that's a great observation, too, about Paramount Plus, because they're going to want this thing in theaters. They're going to want it to make its 800 million billion, however long they need to wait to make that happen. And then they're going to want to put it on Paramount Plus and they're going to want to say, here, everybody. Now, our streaming service is a major player, too. And it won't be long before all the Transformers movies are on there and all the Mission Impossible movies are going to be on there. So they're going to start positioning themselves. And I think Top Gun 2, like you said so astutely, I think that's going to become one of the major players. The mm. question is for you guys, what do you think about this? Do you think it was reasonable that Netflix and Apple would at least make an offer? Do you think it's reasonable that Paramount then turned it down? Why are you guys even still excited for Top Gun 2? I got to admit, I thought it was too little too late, but I've been growing in my anticipation for it. So I don't know. We'll see. But what do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, and a special thanks to Wyatt Bender who sent in a super chat badge in the live chat as well. Thank you, Wyatt, saying he's our number one fan. Thank you for that, man. Appreciate that. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Josh Ward. And Josh Ward writes, Good day, king of the trailers. Oh, there we go. King of the trailers. Well, the long-anticipated trailer for Godzilla King uh, Godzilla vs. Kong has dropped. And wow. While the movie looks like it might require me to turn my brain off, I would be lying if I said it didn't get me amped up. Between the poster and this one trailer, I am ready. What are your thoughts? Can't wait to see the movie. Go and go Team Godzilla, he writes. And go Team Godzilla. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, the Godzilla vs. Kong trailer has arrived. We talked about this last week when they put out the poster that we were expecting a new trailer on Sunday and the trailer came. Let me give you a little bit of context here. I have been interested in Godzilla versus Kong. I, I've, I've been interested in the movie. And a special thanks to Mike Digman, who sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Um, I've been interested in it, but I haven't been losing my mind over it. I haven't been super excited about it. And the main reason I haven't been super excited about it is because of Godzilla King of the Monsters. I was not a fan of Godzilla King of the Monsters. I know others are, uh, and that's great. But to be honest with you, I was disappointed with Godzilla King of the Monsters. And I like Kong Skull Island. I, I like that movie, but I, you know, I didn't do dances of joy when I saw it. Like it wasn't my favorite thing that year, but I enjoyed it. I thought Kong Skull Island was, was good, but I haven't been stoked for it. I haven't been stoked for it. And Rob, what am I always saying about what a, the job of a trailer is? The job of a trailer is to take your excitement level, no matter how low or how high, and bump your excitement level up, right? That's the job of a trailer. If you're already excited about it, make you a little bit more excited. If you're not interested at all, at least get you interested. That's the job of a trailer. Rob, I went into the trailer of Godzilla versus Kong interested, but a little bit indifferent. I think that's a good way for me to put it. Interested, but a bit indifferent. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it's Godzilla versus Kong. Rob, I'm going to tell you right now, Godzilla versus Kong, I think now is my number one most anticipated movie of the year. <laughs> I think it is now- You're a like, good man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> my most anticipated 
movie of the year. Um, this this thing looks so good, and and I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why. And just your average Joe sends in a super chat badge, as does uh, Niall or Regan. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. Sending that, keeping the uh, live chat there going. Um, I'm gonna tell you why. To me, this trailer um, is the best the best trailer in years. I'll tell you why this is the best trailer in years, okay? Now, some people uh, will want to argue with me about that and say, well, no, no, uh, Endgame or whatever, and, and that's all fine. But here's the thing. Trailers for things like Infinity War, Endgame, even some Star Wars trailers, 50% of the excitement about those trailers come just from the fact that they're trailers for that IP. You yeah. know, People were going to be excited about an Infinity War trailer, even if it was the most mediocre trailer out there. People were going to be psyched and excited for the Endgame trailer, even if it was the most mediocre thing out there. Plus, those trailers could build off 10 previous years of films to attach nostalgia and all that kind of stuff. The Endgame trailer was a great example of that. It just really, it was all about feeding off our pre-existing excitement about the previous MCU films. This Godzilla, this Godzilla versus Kong trailer, Besides the fact that I don't know that I've ever seen a trailer that has changed my excitement level as drastically for a movie as this one has. I Because my excitement level was way down here. It is now way up here. It gave you the action. It gave you the thump. It was thrilling in and of itself. As a standalone piece of art, this trailer was exciting and fun and got your blood pumping and all that kind of stuff. But, Rob, it also did the technical things right that a trailer needs to do, which is what am I always saying, Rob? What a trailer has to do from a technical point of view is give us a basic idea of what the story is. Introduce us in a minimal way, introduce us to who are the main players in this thing we're about to watch and a basic fundamental understanding about, okay, what's this basically about? Because Rob, there have been some great flash boom bang trails. Look at all the explosions in our trailers, but they do nothing to let me know what is this even about? What should I expect moving into this? But this trailer not only delivered the smash, the bang, Godzilla hops up on the aircraft carrier, Kong leans in with a feint with his left, comes Christ straight down the middle, right cross, Bam! Hammers down Godzilla, gets in the old shoulder heave, puts him down in the water. Dude, fuck me! When Godzilla's blowing the nuclear fire and King Kong, he's like, nuclear fire? That's adorable. And he takes in the nuclear fire, smashes Godzilla over the head. And oh my God, when she's like, one of them's going to bow. Kong bows to no one. Fuck yeah! I mean, this is a movie I didn't give two shits about 24 hours ago. 24 hours ago, I did not give two shits about this movie. And now all of a sudden, I'm watching this thing, and I'm losing my mind over it. But not only did it deliver all of that, it checked off all the boxes of what a trailer, or what a good trailer for any kind of movie needs to do. Introduce the main players. Give us the audience a sense of what's this about. And the whole thing, there's a mystery. Godzilla's now attacking people, and we don't know why, because Godzilla's on our side. Kong is needed. They introduced this, the fact that Kong's got this relationship with this little girl, kind of an Iron Giant feeling going on, right? So there's a little bit of Iron Giant there going on. And it's just, <laughs> damn, man. 
This thing just was all types of great. And, I, and I'll tell you what. So I have not seen. And look, listen, this movie could end up being a big bag of crud. This movie could be the worst movie of the year. I don't know if it's going to be great or if it's going to be terrible. I am simply talking about the trailer. And that is why for me, I have yet to see a trailer for a movie isolated from a huge franchise, like an Endgame trailer, Infinity War, Star Wars or whatever that has delivered on all of those levers levels. This is to me, I think the best trailer I've seen in years because it did all the technical things, right? It did all the emotional things, right? It got all the grr explosion action thrills parts, right? Just did it all. And Rob, I got a prediction. So this trailer was clearly painting out Godzilla's the hero or sorry, uh, Kong is the hero. Godzilla's villain. But I have a feeling we're going to get another trailer because this one was very Kong focused. I got a feeling we're going to get the next trailer that will be very Godzilla focused and really more from the Godzilla um, supporter point of view. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I'm team Kong, but whatever this is. So I think we're going to get a really great one, too. Rob, anyway, that's my thoughts on this trailer. What did you think? Because I know you've been looking forward to this movie a little bit more than I have. But what are your thoughts on this Godzilla versus Kong trailer? (laughs) First of all. (laughs) <laughs> bravo on that trailer reaction <laughs> um look i mean i've been a fan of kaiju movies my whole life i i i love these films uh i always have loved these films since i was a little kid i think that this trailer if you're gonna come out swinging it's so funny because the movie's called godzilla versus kong godzilla versus king kong godzilla versus kong what do you expect it to be? It's not the English patient. You know, it's, 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 it's just not that uh, it's not even Amelie as much as I love Amelie. It's called Godzilla versus Kong. And it's an extension. It's the fourth film in the Monarch monster verse Warner brothers, Godzilla universe. And to me, it, it like you so eloquently <laughs> just displayed, it was exactly what it was supposed to be. And I, I, I loved it. You know, I, I thought that it, it's got interesting mythology. Some people like having a little girl is like having the, the, the cosmos, the, the Mosura, the two princesses <laughs> that, you know, that, that it, it, all of that is, it, it harks back to the, 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 the whole lineage of these movies and you have modern CG effects Maybe it's Mechagodzilla. Maybe there's even another monster. I mean, I don't know. But I just watched this movie and I'm like, gosh, if I had a if you if you don't already know whether you're interested in Godzilla versus Kong, I think this 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 trailer would make you interested. There's gonna be people that reject this out of hand for for like I had a friend of mine say, This movie looks ridiculous. I'm like, bruh. It's Godzilla <laughs> versus Kong. That's what the movie is called. What do you expect? I mean, are you expect to like watch some drawing room comedy or is it supposed to be Gandhi? I mean, what do you want out of this movie? What I wanted out of this movie is exactly what they gave me in the trailer. I want I wanted more. Give me more. I want to watch more of that. If that trailer was if they showed me an extended version of that trailer for two hours, I'm like, heck, yeah, man, that's exactly what I wanted. But dude, that that's where in this franchise that becomes a little concerning because one of the knocks on Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, 
uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters is that the movies themselves quite often don't deliver what the trailers kind of promise, right? We get a lot more human focus thing, which to a degree is understandable. To a but degree that's is understandable. been true of all the Godzilla movies. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, the trailer... As great as the trailers, I think it's the best trailer I've seen in years. I, I, I again, I haven't had a trailer that take me from so being uh, modestly interested in a film to now losing my mind for a film. That trailer made some pretty big promises. Yes, it and did. it's going to be interesting when we do see the movie. Is did we just see every action shot? Did we just see all the action that's in this movie, and the rest of it is an hour and forty five minutes of? you know, exposition is how, is how it's going on. Uh, by the way, we got a little uh, Mecha Godzilla shot in there as well, which I thought, which is not a surprise because the toy picture leaked on that a long time ago. But dude, damn. I honestly, I, I seriously cannot remember the last time I had a movie that I was so indifferent about, mildly, like interested, yes, that the trailer just completely ramped it up. I mean, it was a beautiful example of excellence in trailer making. They they crushed it with this trailer, dude. And I cannot yeah. wait to see it. Uh, by the way, just a quick shout out as well. A bunch of people were sending in super chats in the live chat there. Insomniac, uh, Isaac Peavy uh, sent one in. Uh, also, Alex Pitt sent one in. So all of you guys who were sending that in in the live chat, uh, appreciate that very much. So I don't know, Rob, where's your ex expectation level now? Where's your excitement level? Like where were, where's, let me try this again. Where I'm still, I got so much adrenaline pumping through me right now. Where was your excitement level for this movie prior to the trailer? And where would you say it is now? Has it affected it much? Where are you at? You know, to be honest, it, it, it gave me, like, I loved King of the Monsters, Godzilla King of the Monsters. I know a lot of people had problems with it, but this old school Godzilla fan, I was jumping for joy when I saw that movie. And, and this, this also, what what I really loved about this film is how Godzilla or the film, the trailer is how Godzilla and King Kong are both being portrayed. You know, I, I love the fact that Godzilla is, is this kind of mysterious coming out of the ocean, the jaws, shark fins smashing through a boat, you know, and then Kong is being portrayed as like, he is King of the jungle and he is, this old school, I think you're right. I think they're going to release another Godzilla centric trailer because otherwise this trailer heavily skews toward Kong, which I think is unfortunate and unfair to Godzilla. I mean, we need equal time here. And, um, uh, but I did like the way they were portrayed. The monsters have, they've got weight and importance and, 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 uh, uh, they they feel it. It feels like something grand is going on between the two of them. Not just a fight, but something something even timeless and noble. And the fate of the planet is is at stake. And that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted out of this movie. <laughs> and that's what they're giving me. And I'm very excited. Dude, cannot wait. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. And by the way, the other kind of crappy thing about this is that a lot of people are going to have no choice but to watch it on a TV screen. Uh, and which is because I'm watching this and I'm like, oh God, you know what? I had no intention, no intention of driving to Vegas to go see this movie on the big screen. I, I Ann and I might do that because, you know, we, we, we just live with each other. We got no risk. So uh, we're, we're, we, Ann and I may actually drive to Las Vegas so we can go and watch this on a big screen. And I had no intention of doing that before. Question is for you guys. What did you guys think of this Godzilla versus Kong trailer? I don't expect many of you liked it as much as I did, but maybe you did. Maybe you liked it even more. Maybe you think, maybe you're thinking, 
What's the big deal? It was a trailer. It wasn't actually all that big. Maybe that's the case. That's totally valid too. Whatever your thoughts are on the trailer, jump down to the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. Okay, guys, as I almost blew my voice out there talking about the Godzilla versus Kong trailer. With that down, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. And I, I'm going to let you guys know, I announced this on the companion video that I put out yesterday, but I will let you know, uh, guys know about this now. Uh, this is the final episode of the John Campia show this week. Uh, now our next video, the next show we will do, although I will do a companion video this week as well, uh, that will be from another place from some remote location. I'll do a companion video this week, but the next live video that Ann and I will be doing is going to be on Friday afternoon when we do our WandaVision open spoiler discussion. Uh, as many of you guys know, Ann and I are moving. We bought our first house and we are moving this week. So as soon as we are done the show today, uh, fact checker Jonathan and Ray are going to swoop in here like locusts and start tearing this studio down. You can already tell that there are some things that have already started to be taken down and things like that. This studio is going to be taken down and taken apart. And we're going to begin the process, and then the full move happens Friday morning. The studio will be all set up by then, and then Friday afternoon, Anne and I will do our open spoiler discussion of WandaVision Episode 4, so we're very excited about that. But this is the final episode of the John Campia Show this week, because we will be in transit and moving. Um, and just a uh, lot of memories in this studio, Rob. We've done a lot of shows from this room, uh, in this studio, both that you've been in you've we've done a lot of shows yeah. with you in this room with me we've done a lot of shows with you remote as well uh so moving on to the new place it's uh, i'm looking forward to it it's going to be a lot of fun and uh and yeah but with that down guys if you want to get in a, a live comment or question to be read on the show or maybe read in the uh, companion video that's going to come later all you got to do is use the tip link like mr mystery just did uh just use the tip link that's in the description of this video you'll see it below you can just click on it there or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip uh once you get there make sure you guys remember to put in your name and send it on in you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate uh and of course you'll be supporting the show at the same time and all of us here on the john campus show thank you guys very very much for your support okay let's get into some of the live questions here shall we and we're going to start things off with oh damn damn rob i had it all set up had it all set up and then the uh the reader took uh the reader took a jump give me a second to see if i can find out uh -oh. where we lost our place from. I apologize for this, guys. I had it all set up and ready to go. Um, do, 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 do. Sorry, guys. Give me a second. I should be there any minute now. Okay, here we go. Well, now we are ready to rock. All right. The first question comes to us from Keaton uh, Wanager, who writes, Hey, John, wondering if you've had the chance to see the the controversial film Run, Hide, Fight. Uh, I was very skeptical about uh, going in, but didn't find the movie to be political. It does a great job of teetering uh, the reality that too many young Americans have had. Uh, I have not watched it. It didn't look like something that appealed to me, but I, I might have seen if I had good, good things about it. I have a number of friends of mine who did watch it and actually used terms like abysmal and awful. Uh, so... Yeah, it wasn't really, it's not something that got a big release anyway. And now it's unfortunate because I really like Thomas Jane. I like Thomas Jane very much. Um, 
I actually did, Rob, I did an interview with Thomas Jane. He just did that horror movie on Netflix about a year and a half ago. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was set in like the 1930s anyway. And I got to be the MC and moderate the live Q&A at the screening of it, at the live screening. And Thomas Jane, he comes up, I call him up to come up and join me in front of the theater. And he comes up and he literally showed up in the theater. This is in LA, no shoes, no socks, just bare feet. He, he like he walked from his car and just bare feet. I'm like this dude is so chill. There's not even a meter that can measure it. Was it 1922? That I, that could have been the name of the movie. Yeah, that could have been the it Stevie exactly. King, yes, King. yes. And he was really good in that, by the way. So I really like Thomas Jane. But again, I I have heard nothing but really terrible, terrible things about it. So I I haven't had a chance. Did you have a chance to check this one out yet, Rob? No, but I'm curious about it because I, I did a uh, show of observations about this movie because it was picked up by Ben Shapiro's The Daily Wire for, right, distribu- right, right, yeah. for distribution in North America. And it was made by the producers of Bone Tomahawk, Brawl and Cell Block 39, and Dragged Across Concrete. Of which I like hard- all of those. Pretty Yeah, pretty hardcore movies that I liked all three of. So I was surprised that obviously this movie is about terrorists shooting up a high school. And or young, young, are they terrorists? I don't know, but it looks like other high school students shooting up. So obviously the, the, the subject matter is pretty incendiary, but I'm curious because the Daily Wire distributing a movie is a weird thing. It's something that was new. And uh, I was curious about their whole distribution model and how they were going to make money doing it and whether it would work out and the fact that they were working with established producers. So all of that was very interesting to me from a business perspective, but the movie looks it looks like it's up my alley. And, you know, they made three other good movies I liked. So I want to see it. All right, let's move on here. Next up. Oh, that was one of two. You put one of one. Okay, anyway, uh, to go through the tense action, the violence is horrific, but it never trivializes what's happening or goes over the top. Other than a few minor issues, I spent an hour and 15 minutes on the edge of my seat. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, again, I don't really have any intention of watching it just because everybody I, that I know that has seen it has said it's, said it's really quite awful. I'm glad you enjoyed it, though, and I'm sure you're not the only one. But uh, yeah, I just probably won't be using my time to watch that one, but that's just me. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, though, Keaton. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, The Great One writes, uh, where are we at here? Normally, the Super Bowl is filled with movie spots. With uncertainty of theaters and uh, raging streaming wars, they may focus on streaming in the ads. I bet we'll get at least one MCU ad and possibly an announcement for the Wheel of Time. Which ads do you think will be there? I don't know, because here's the thing. Television stuff, including streaming, doesn't have the marketing budget that feature films do for individual things. Now, I think, Rob, what you could get is an overall advertisement for the service in in general. Mm, like yep. maybe a big Disney Plus spot, maybe a big HBO Max spot. But this isn't like, you know, Top Gun by itself will have a $100 million advertising budget, right? They, they just don't do that for individual shows for this. And the, the spots at the Super Bowl, even in a COVID year, are going to be extremely expensive. So... I think we are going to see some of the same trailers we saw at last year's Super Bowl because those movies have now been bumped up or bumped out. Uh, but I think instead of like a Falcon and Winter Soldier spot, I think we'll get a Disney Plus spot that will also feature that. I don't know, Rob, how do you think Super Bowl is going to go down that way? Well, I think you're right about this. I mean, Netflix did a really cool spot where they were promoting all of their movies, 52 movies a week for the next year. 
and they had their stars and clips from the films. I thought it was pretty clever what they did. I thought that was an interesting approach. I think we're going to get more of that. I think you're right. the, The problem is, you know, who knows when these things are going to come out theatrically. We still have no word if Fast and the Furious 9, a.k.a. Justice for Han, is actually going to come out in May still. Or There's still a lot of of things. Maybe we'll see some movie trailers. I mean, but, I, I you know, I think Warner Brothers, they're selling HBO Max. They're not selling individual movies now. Yeah. <laughs> so now listen, we'll see. Omar95 in the live chat just put in – put in something that I, I think we should address here. And, and, and basically he says this, because I think a lot of people wonder about this. Omar 94 writes, I don't get why studios put movie trailers during Super Bowl. If they put it online before the game, it costs something like $5 million or more. Uh, it costs like $5 million to put it on the Super Bowl. Studios would save some money. Here's why, Omar. This is the basics of marketing. They spend the $5 million because they want people, look, When they put Godzilla versus Kong trailer online, I'm going to go look for it and watch it. Rob is going to go look for it and watch it. You're going to go look for it and watch it. But we were all going to go watch that movie anyway. The idea of marketing dollars is to get this thing promoted to the people who are not going to go out of their way to go on YouTube to go and watch those trailers. The Super Bowl is the highest viewed event of the year. By miles, like it's like doubles the Oscars and stuff like that. Like it's crazy. The amount of eyeballs that are on the Super Bowl is insane. So what you have there is a lot of people who are not going to go onto YouTube to go and find a trailer to watch. So you get a lot of people, what they're spending those $5 million on is to get them in front of the eyeballs of the people who aren't going to go look for those trailers, to get those people who may not already be planning and going to go see Godzilla versus Kong and to convince those people. So yes, you can just put it online and get the people who are already excited about it to see it, but that's not who you really got to target when you're marketing. You got to target us, yes, but you got to target the wider general audience who isn't going to go on YouTube and go, "Oh, I wonder if a new Kong versus Godzilla trailer has dropped." No, you want to put in front of the people who haven't made those decisions yet, and that's why it's so valuable. And you got you're going to have hundreds of millions of people watching that thing, and uh that's why they spend the money. Rob, I don't know if you've had anything to add to that. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, it's it's what people forget in the online space here is that most of the world is not scouring the internet for trailers the way we do. Right. So yeah. you, co- you cover that. And that's, that's why, that's why um, they do that. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, where, where were we just at? Um, yeah, that was the great one. Okay. Next up, Devin writes, I was thinking about how they would reintroduce cap into the MCU in Endgame, They pushed time through Scott Lang and made him older and younger. Bruce Banner should be smart enough to remember how they did that uh, and do the same with cap your thoughts. I mean, that's a possibility, but the reality is they could literally come up with 500,000 different ways to say why cap was, you know, uh, a radioactive uh, meteor fragment filled with, Epti radiation. Did you just make up epti radiation? Yes. A, a f- meteor fragment with epti radiation landed and, at Cap's feet, and it makes people turn young. Or they say he's brought in from another timeline. Or, or But there are a million different things. But that's not a bad proposal. Like the whole thing that made Scott go younger and older. Maybe they do that, but then you'd have to have Cap wanting to do that. And I don't know that Cap looks like he wants to, but they could come up with that. Rob, what do you think about that theory? I, I think it's... 
it's not bad. I, I think that there's probably going to be I, – look, I think they have a really interesting opportunity where Captain America went back into the MCU timeline, Steve Rogers, and existed in that MCU timeline. And I think that it's going to – I think it's whatever they're going to do, it's going to be within that timeline and it's going to be our Steve Rogers. That's what I think they're going to do. Yeah, I agree. But, but there are but there are a million different things they could do. But I, a million, I, a million different things. But I like what you're saying there, too. All right. Uh, next up, uh, this one comes to us from one of our Patreon supporters, Alexander Kent. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, Alexander. And a big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for being Patreon supporters. We appreciate you very much. Uh, Alexander writes. Over or under 50% that Tom Hiddleston makes an appearance in Godzilla vs. Kong. I'm a huge fan of this movie franchise. I about cried when I heard the Godzilla March song as he rose from the depths in King of the Monsters. What is your prediction and thoughts? Well, it's going to be difficult to do Tom Hiddleston because I can't remember what year uh, Godzilla or Kong Skull Island was supposed to take place in, but it was during World War II, right? Uh, well, yeah, a little, yes, after I, I, that. Yeah, yeah, was, was, you're right. After Kong that, Skull Island was was post Vietnam. Is that okay? Post Vietnam, that's right. So it's not as old as I was thinking. But Tom Hiddleston would now be what that character would be thirty or forty years older. Yeah. At this point, so I I doubt it. I, I so on fifty percent, that's a really huge number. I will take well under fifty percent that Tom Hiddleston makes an appearance. I, I mean, unless it's a black and white photo that's in the back corner, but Tom Hiddleston actually showing up, I'll say under 50%. What about you, Rob? Yeah, probably. Uh, but you know what? He's the kind of dude who would do it. Look, anybody who dresses up in his own character's costume for Comic-Con, I put nothing past them. Sure. He's a guy. That but guy the question isn't would fun. he do it, is would they actually write that into the movie? I, I think they... You know what? <laughs> I think it's under 50%, but it wouldn't surprise me if he shows uh, yeah. up in makeup. Yeah, that's that's actually good. Yeah, I, I will take the under, but I won't fall out of my seat in total shock if he does. No. All right, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, uh, Hey, John, I just saw the news that CBS All Access is uh, reflagging to Paramount+. Plus. They actually announced, we actually talked about this on the show like four months ago that they were going to do that. Uh, but now they've said they've got their timeline. Uh, NBC Peacock, uh, are you watching? We're waiting. And listen, yeah, this is not surprising. Rob, that every every one of these studios is going to move to have these things because they're going to want everything's going to be about exclusive content. They're going to want to put their own movies on their own streaming service. They're not going to want to put, you know, Paramount doesn't want to put their movies on Netflix, really. And they don't want to put it on Disney Plus and they don't want to put it on HBO Max. They want to have their own service to do to put these things on. So I'm not surprised. By the way, NBC Peacock has been doing some impressive. I still hate the name of the service. They've been doing some impressive expanding. Apparently their numbers almost tripled when they moved the office over to it. That made a lot of people sign up. And then this won't matter to a lot of people, but like WWE, which is a big deal in the entertainment space, they just signed an exclusive streaming contract with Peacock as well. So they're making some moves. But anyway, Rob, the the, uh, Paramount Plus, what are your thoughts on that and that move that's happening now? Oh, look, I think it's great. I think it's what they need to do. I think Paramount, you know, it's always been one of my favorite studios, even when I was growing up. I mean, not just Star Trek, of course, but The Godfather and and um, movies like Chinatown. And you go back into Paramount's rich history of film noir. And I mean, even Hitchcock started over it, did some Paramount stuff. It's it's like 
I, I mean, I love seeing that mountain, that logo, that 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 brand is being resurrected because I don't care about CBS. To me, ABC, NBC, and CBS, those are archaic. You know, those are television networks, and they're gone. And to try and build a brand, CBS All Access, I understand why they did it, but Paramount, to me, predates television. You know, it's part of the golden age of Hollywood, and I love to see that they're calling it Paramount Plus, and sign me up, son, I'm there. (laughs) All right, next up, Mr. Hoover writes, I'm disappointed in Warner Brothers and now Legendary, who, sad to say, sold out. Uh, they should have said no to the $250 million. Money can give you a bad reputation if used wrongly. Legendary should have supported the theaters more. Uh, more filmmakers will boycott Warner Brothers. Thoughts, guys? No, I, I don't blame Legendary at all. I don't blame... Listen, Legendary is not the distributor. They're not all the... They were the financers. They are the financers. They put up the money for this movie to be made. A 75%. Legendary put up 75% of the money. Warner Brothers used Legendary's money to make that movie. So they probably spent somewhere in the neighborhood of probably $120 million, uh, I'm guessing, is what Legendary probably put up to make this movie. And remember, they have no marketing costs. They have none of that other stuff because they were just the financiers. For them to be offered a $250 million uh, payout for that investment, that's a good that's a good return on investment, Rob. That's a great return on investment. Because Warner Brothers as the distributor was going to get the lion's share of the box office. They were just going to have to pay back what what it, uh um what legendary put into it plus extra, but I don't know that it would have come out to 250 million dollars. This is the show business. They are financers. They finance this movie to get money. The reason, Rob, they are probably going to hold out for more and they probably want Dune getting a theatrical release is because they believe Dune has the potential to be a long-running franchise that can make money for them over years yeah. and just make money on top of money on top of money because they will then have the right to be the financers for all future Dune movies as well. So they see more upside in this. So yes, I am I hate Warner Brothers move, but I don't blame Legendary at all. This is their financers. They put up the money. They got a very good return on their investment. So they take that. The responsibility lies with Warner Brothers. Rob, how much responsibility do you think uh, Legendary has? More than I think they do? Or or what do you? how do you see it? Well, I mean, Legendary, it's not like Legendary has their own money. You know, they've got people that are investing in them. So they have a fiduciary obligation to their financiers in addition to themselves. So, I mean, it's not even about, look, it's show business, not show friends. And while everybody wants to support themselves, Legendary is not in the business to support the movie theaters. Legendary is in the business to make money themselves and to support their financiers. So while we want to keep the ecosystem uh, vibrant and alive, this COVID situation has put all of these people in an incredibly precarious position. They've borrowed money from people. They have interest payments. They expected, they had expectations that they gave to everybody. Like these movies are coming out here. Here's our cash flow. Here's when you're going to get paid back. And ba-bam, that doesn't happen. So Legendary is left holding a bag. They've got to figure out how they can make good on, on everyone that they owe money to, their own employees, and their relationship with Warner Brothers because they want to stay financially solvent and vibrant so they can continue to pay for movies that Warner Brothers will release. 
So it's 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 tough. I think legendary. They did the right thing. They did the prudent thing. They did the thing they had to do. Right. And again, I, I think what with the right thing to do will change from project to project. What's right for them with Congress is Godzilla may be different from what's right for them for Dune. And that's why you're seeing them approaching and handling the two different situations in different ways. All right. Next up. Aaron E. writes, after seeing how much you love the Godzilla vs. Kong poster, I think you should do a sequel to your last movie, Movie Posters, A Ghibli Story. Uh, especially with the differences in other country posters, some of us still have our favorite movie posters up. I don't laugh. I've had people ask me about doing uh, a documentary now about movie posters. I, I, I'm not as interested in that. I don't get, I love movie posters. I do, but I just don't have the interest in it. And I don't think there's as much of a story to tell as there is for trailers for me personally. But yeah, I like a good movie poster, Aaron. I do. And I really did like, I really do like the Kong versus Godzilla poster. All right. Ollie uh, Mulholland writes, Hey John, how do you feel about JJ Abrams directing the next Superman movie? Do you think he will do a good job? Love the streams, man. Thank you so much, Ollie. I'm all for it. I, I like JJ Abrams as a director, but I don't love everything he's done. I mean, obviously, I really disliked his uh, most recent Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I hated it so much that I actually put one of the prequels above it. I put Ri The Revenge of the Sith above it. Um, and that I never thought I would ever put any of the prequels above any other Star Wars thing. But I put Revenge of the Sith above it. But at the same time, I phenomenally love his other Star Wars movie, The, the Force Awakens. I love that movie. Uh, there's a lot of things he's done that I really do appreciate and a couple of things he doesn't. Do I think he will do a good job isn't the question. The question is, do I think he can do a good job with it? And the answer to that is yes. It might work. It, it might end up badly. It might end up badly. But I think the potential is there for him to do a very good job with it. So yeah, I would say I'm excited about it and I, and I would have fairly high expectations. But again, doesn't guarantee anything. All right, thanks for that, Ollie. Next up, Gabe Campbell writes, Damn, who knew Wanda could be so scary? Also, I think Wanda will say for the children as the show uh, versions as the show's version of No More Mutants and crack the multiverse open, setting up Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2. I don't think so. Rob, there's still a lot of people. Every time, ever since, for the last three years, ever since they announced the Fox-Disney deal, every new MCU thing coming out, there is a slew of people insisting that this is going to be the thing they introduce mutants. And then the next thing comes out. This will be the one that they introduce mutants and they don't. And then the next thing comes out. This will be the one they do. I still remember there were sites reporting that they had confirmed that Aurora, that storm was going to be in black Panther. And obviously that didn't happen either. I don't think they're going to be introducing mutants in WandaVision. I still think they had this all planned out long before the Fox thing played out. But Rob, anything is possible. Anything is possible. What do you think the chances at this point are that by the end of WandaVision, we have the introduction of mutants into the MCU world? Well, theoretically, you could say that Wanda herself is already a mutant, even though they've said, oh, it's a it's an Infinity Stone thing, the twins, whatever. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're setting up a a they're setting up some dominoes they're going to knock over in Doctor Strange and Spider-Man that's going to lead and have larger ramifications to the MCU. But I don't think it's going to happen in WandaVision. I agree. And by the way, Gabe, got to say, I completely agree with you about, holy crap, did that thing turn dark fast? 
in, in, in episode three, did that thing turn dark fast? And I am, I'm getting more and more into this show as, as we go. And I'm very much, I think episode four is going to be, is going to blow the doors off. I really do. Anyway, dude, when she said, when she said, what did you just say? You know, when, when Monica Rambeau said about brought up Ultron, what, and the look on her face, I was like, Oh, I thought, I th- well, if I didn't already that was know, terrifying. I'll tell you, Rob, if I didn't already know and see things in the trailers already, I would have thought she was about to kill her. Like, I, right. I, I, I really thought she was about to kill her. Rob, and there's this, I don't want to get sidetracked, but there's this theory going around out there um, of, you know, missing children. Somebody on my on my show the other day took a real dark turn and they said this, because you know how I talked about all the missing children poster in Spider-Man 3? So somebody says, what if at the end of the day, like the kids are gone, the, the, the kids she has in WandaVision are gone, whether they are fantasy or not. And she just decides if I don't have kids, nobody has children and just like eliminates children off the face of the earth. I mean, it's like, oh my God, because well, wow. I, I still think they're setting up Wanda to be the, the, the villain, the antagonist of Dr. Strange too. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, and you know, the idea that this is obviously clearly something to do with her grief, yep. whether she caused this or she's working through it or something, you know, she created this reality. She's retreating into herself. Uh, whatever's going on. I think that it's fascinating. I've been really enjoying it. And and I think a lot of people that look, whether they enjoy it or not, there's people I, I think that have kind of missed the point. Like everyone's like, well, the sitcom, the sitcom stuff, isn't that funny? And I'm like, well, it's, it's not, it's, a, <laughs> it's not a real, I, I think it's funny too, especially with the characters. Um, I, I, uh, uh, it, it's, it's just weird. You know, it's a, it's, it's supposed to be just weird. It's not supposed to be a real sitcom. Part of the whole thing is that you're retreating into a private, a private time where life was innocent and all this stuff was, you know, all that. Yep. It's, it's not a sitcom. It's not a sitcom. It's got the veneer of a sitcom hiding the truly dark undertones of a woman dealing with her grief. And it's, it's, I just love the juxtaposition they're setting up. By the way, Black, uh, Black Bono Lala sends in a super chat badge in live chats. Thanks, Black Bono. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, Alone in the World writes, Hey, John, I am watching Fate, the Winx saga. Never heard of it. Uh, and I have to say, I've not seen such a brilliant work since the last Harry Potter in the genre. I truly hope that it will return for more seasons. What are your thoughts on it? I've never even heard of it. Rob, are you at all familiar with? Uh, I saw, you know, I saw a thing for that, but I, um, I, I, I haven't watched it. But I've heard somebody said it's just like a ripoff. But I, I don't know anything about it. Of what? A ripoff of what? Like of Harry Potter or something? Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I have. I, I'll be honest. With you. I'm going to assume it's terrible that I assume this. I'm going to assume it's a Netflix property because normally the stuff that comes out that we've never heard of is on Netflix because they do a terrible job marketing their content. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I, I've never heard of it. I will keep my eyes open for it, though, alone in the world. So thanks for putting on my radar. I'd never even heard of it until now. Thanks to you. Now I have. All right. Next up. Uh, alone in the world also writes. Uh, I really I can't really understand why Revenge of the Sith is so much underrated. To me, uh, Camille Paglia is right. Nothing in any arts has been produced as emotionally compelling and significant as Revenge of the Sith. Your thoughts? Well, you know my thoughts. Revenge of the Sith is a bag of shit movie. It's an absolute bag of shit movie. But it is better than Rise of Skywalker. 
and it is to me the least offensive of the Star Wars prequels. Again, I'm not trying to take away if you enjoy them. If you enjoy it, that's awesome. I celebrate that. That's great. But you're asking me my opinion. My opinion, it's a complete bag of shit, but at least it's a bag of shit that's better than The Rise of Skywalker, which I never thought I would say, but there it is. All right, next (laughs) up. uh, Josh Campier writes, love your show, man. Thank you so much, Josh. It's always nice when somebody wants to write in just to say something kind. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right, uh, next up. Uh, the hammer pulls you off. I get that. I like that reference. Uh, hey, John, one of two. I'm the Australian who responded in the comment yesterday about COVID in Australia being due to population differences. Wishing USA the very best of luck. Yeah. We are all thinking about you over here. Also, one of the Taika Waititi best movies, Boy. Uh, I am enjoying WandaVision. Uh, yeah, that was one of two. There we go. Two of two. Uh, is up here. Then we'll get back to Anonymous. I know he regards it as one, if not his best films. He plays a leading role in an, as an absent dad who returns home to see his uh, kids. Shot in, in Taika's small hometown in New Zealand. Great movie and very funny. It also sat at the same time. Truly love your work, John. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, it's funny, Rob. Just the other day, um, we were talking about his other film, uh, Hunt for the Wilder. Is it the Wilder People? Yeah, this Wilder yeah, People, yeah. right? With Sam That's Neill. He, yeah. And Sam Neill and the kid from Deadpool 2, the guy who plays like Fire Fist in Deadpool 2, uh, which is great. That movie is wonderful. When you look at Taika Waititi's work, like everything from from that kind of stuff to something as raunchously just pure funny as what we do in the shadows, all the way up to his Academy Award winning work in Jojo Rabbit. This dude is turning into seriously not just a fan favorite. He is honestly turning into one of the filmmakers in Hollywood to watch. I mean, he is just one of the most exciting filmmakers in Hollywood and he's showing he can cross those genres up and make take something as heavy as the subject matter of a Jojo Rabbit and make it thoroughly enjoyable and entertaining to watch at the same time. He is simply one of the most exciting guys to watch in Hollywood right now. What are your thoughts on where, where Taika Waititi's career is right now? Dude, I think it's amazing. I mean, he between whether he's acting, whether he's producing what we do in the shadows, whether he's making Jojo Rabbit, uh, I, I now he's doing Thor: Love and Thunder. He's doing a Star Wars movie. I think the guy, uh, he's a unique talent, an incredible visionary, a, a crazy, funny sensibility. I think he's a real unique person in, in Hollywood, and he's exactly the kind of person I think we need. All right, next up. Thanks for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. Next up, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes, I'm enjoying WandaVision so far. The best part, though, is definitely the mystery and theorizing with everyone here. I will admit it's more fun than talking about favorite or despise things in a one-and-done movie or more straightforward show. Uh, It's fun when people notice those Easter eggs. I'm bad at spotting them. So I can come up with my own ideas. Example, if Hydra is there, my money is on Mr. Won't Eat With Bolsheviks heart and Norm, who who I felt found it too funny of being called a communist yeah listen i that is one of the big perks of this show and one of the big perks rob of the week-to-week release idea is that we get to percolate and simmer and as each new episode comes out we alter our theories and change our perceptions and then the next episode comes out we alter idea and change the perceptions and the whole idea of what is actually going on it's the it is the whole mystery of it what's going on here is kind of been a fun part of the ride. And Rob, I just did four and a half hours of open spoiler discussion about episode three by itself, 
WandaVision episode three, a 30 minute episode. We did four and a half hours of discussion about it, but that's just kind of a testimony to the way it's setting up. And to me, it is truly one of the strengths of this show. What do you see as maybe being one of the main strengths of WandaVision right now? Well, I think its main strength is how different it is. You know, it shows that the, the, the MCU moving into this new phase with streaming shows, they're not afraid to think way out of the box. I mean, this has more in, uh, along. This is like a David Lynch show. And I mm. think that the way when we find out what, what's really going on, I, I tweeted out after the first episode, I said, because there was a lot of people going, what is this? I don't understand. I don't like this at all. And I'm like, wait till episode five. Wait till we get to episode five. It's designed as a show and they're peeling the onions back. And I think after we get to the end of this series, people are going to be like, oh, and look, I know there's a lot of people that especially people that are younger than me or younger than you, they didn't grow up with these kinds of sitcoms. They know about them, but they didn't watch them incessantly. So, I mean, I think the idea of using a sitcom is creating a a perfect reality that in itself. And then watching the journey through the sitcoms we've now had, we had the very early sixties, sort of the later sixties. Now we're into the early seventies. They're taking us through this really interesting journey that, uh, I find fascinating. And I think it's all going to pay off in a wonderful way. And, and looking what happened in the last 10 minutes of episode three, I'm like, wow. And then the <laughs> final, the final reveal I was like, you left me with even more questions and I'm like, okay, but, but it also told us a lot of, a lot of, of what's going on. And it's fascinating. I think that this is just the difference and, and the, the way they've completely subverted expectations in a way that is, is comic book like yet something else. It's really, it's really amazing. And by the way, like my wife, the first two episodes all set in the fifties and sixties sitcom made WandaVision like one of my wife's all-time favorite TV shows. She was grinning ear to ear, smiling and laughing the whole way through those first two episodes. It's crazy. I mean, she liked it more than I did, but uh, she was going crazy for them. By the way, special shout out to Cobra Kai Never Dies who sent in like a $20 super chat badge in the live chat saying, you are amazing. Thanks so much for that, man. And S-Beam also sent one in. Thank you, S-Beam. Appreciate you guys. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up, anonymous viewer writes in, Sword seems to be gathering people that know Avengers. Darcy knows Thor, Monica Rambo knows Captain Marvel, and Randall Park's character knows Ant-Man. Coincidence? No way it can be. No, I, I think he's, you're absolutely 100% on the money. Now, first of all, we're assuming this is Sword, which, I mean, the logo kind of gives away, but they haven't confirmed it yet. And we're assuming that Darcy and Monica Rambo and Randall Park work for Sword, like, we don't know that Monica works for S.W.O.R.D., but John, she was wearing the logo around her neck. Yeah, I know. That's probably a pretty big giveaway, but still. But yes, I absolutely believe that your theories are correct. I don't believe it's coincidence that they've gathered these side characters who already have connections to the larger Avengers circle. And I think you're 100% on the money about that, Anonymous. All right, next up, Isaiah Cam writes. Uh, where'd Isaiah go? There he is. Isaiah Cam writes. Hey, John, hear me out. WandaVision has a dark ending and Wanda is revealed to be one of the antagonists in Doctor Strange 2. I've been saying that for six months. Uh, similar to Robert Downey Jr.'s role in Civil War, with Robert Downey Jr. being an antagonist to manipulative uh, to manipulative methods, seems to be Mephisto and Agnes behind the scenes. I mean, there's Rob, that's one of the big theories that we're hearing from people is that 
The behind-the-scenes villain is Mephisto, and there are certainly things here that do connect those dots. I, I'm still not convinced Mephisto is going to be involved here. I'm still not convinced that Disney+, Plus, the family-friendly network, with their very first MCU show, will have the antagonist of their very first MCU show, Satan. I, I don't uh, know. Call me crazy. I, I just I think they might be thing. And then, of course, there's the uh, thought that Catherine Hahn's character, Agnes, is actually uh, Agatha Harkness, which, again, there are dots that connect there. It's not an unreasonable guess. I I just don't I I don't know about that. I don't know. What do you th- where's where are you right now in the involvement of Mephisto or Agatha Harkness in, in all this? I just think that uh, if you're dealing with Wanda Maximoff's powers and then compounding that with something supernatural, I think you're doubling up and you're doing too much. I, I think this, I think it's, it's much more along the lines of Wanda, Dr. Strange reality, dealing with trauma kind of a thing. If you have the devil involved Mephisto, I think you're making a leap beyond where the Marvel cinematic universe actually is. Even Dormammu, uh, I mean, that was pretty out there. But even, you know, you're, 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 you're making that leap into the supernatural realm now, I think with the MCU as it currently exists, I think it's too much. I don't think that's what they're doing. Now, there is one theory out there is that, hey, John, listen, you say all the time the comic books and the MCU are two totally different things. What if they're using a character called Mephisto, but they fundamentally change who and what Mephisto is in the MCU? Like, what if he's not a demon from the sixth layer of hell? in um like he is in the comic books what if he's something very different but they still call him mephisto and he carries some of the same kind of traits of that character and i had to say you know that's a possibility because again the comic books are not the mcu they could change him do you think maybe they could go in that direction i doubt it because i just think again i think that's too much of a leap Mm, i think you're, you're going into you're going into a realm that's too too far i mean Look, what we're what we're being shown does not lead me to believe that you're going to suddenly introduce Mephisto because after 23 movies, you're going to be like, wait, what? You know, we're dealing with even Thanos with snapping half the people in the universe away. That was pretty extreme, but it's still he wasn't the devil. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, the theoretical devil. Yes. All right. Next up, uh, Mo versus more problems. I like that name. Well done. Uh, if they did a Spider-Man three multiverse movie, McGuire, Garfield and Holland, all being Spider-Man from different universes, how would they explain that they look different? I could accept that everyone's counterpart in another universe. Um, again, I don't think they're doing that. I, th- I like I do think. At this point now, I hadn't always thought this, but at this point now with what we're seeing, I do believe we're going to see Maguire and Garfield in Spider-Man 3. But from everything I'm hearing from different people, like everybody seems to agree, it's going to actually be very small roles, right? It's going to be small roles. But it's nothing different than what they just did in uh, CW, right, Rob? Like in, in Crisis on Infinite Earths, they had that famous scene where Ezra Miller Flash meets the Grant Gustin Flash from the TV universe. They're they're both Barry Allen, but they look absolutely and completely different. Whereas everybody else's doppelgangers look exactly alike, but whatever. So I don't think that'll become an issue. Rob, do you think it's an issue that if we have these three Spider-Men, these three Peter Parkers, is it going to be a problem for the audience that they don't look exactly the same? Or do you think we're just going to go, eh, it is what it is? I don't know. What do you think? No, I think the audience gets... 
the, uh, the audience for these shows understand what's happening in these movies. They get it. They understand. They're not going to have a problem differentiating here. All right. They're just not. I agree. All right. Next up, uh, Tyler Pfeiffer writes, I don't know if you know this, but in the after credit scene for Captain America, the, the first uh, the first Avenger, actually, I think it's the end credit. It might have been the end credit scene for Avengers. Anyway, uh, or uh, uh, no, it is for, for that one. Uh, Mephisto is mentioned by name on the dossier. We actually covered this already. We talked about this on the show. Uh, Mephisto is mentioned by name on the dossier. Fury gives Steve. Uh, he was helping S.H.I.E.L.D. figure out what the Cosmic Cubes were. His name was digitally removed for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I again, uh, that we, we did talk about this before. Irrelevant. When they were doing that Captain America, when they shot that scene, they had no concept yet that they were doing a WandaVision show and that they would do this character. I think it was just a thing to have in there. I think it was just a name. Just like when they were breaking into the computer and they saw a list of all these different MCU recognizable names, it doesn't really mean anything. It was just kind of an Easter egg. So I, I don't ultimately think that has any heavier meaning than that. Rob, do you? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I agree. Um, Okay, let's move on here. Next up, we've got, again, from more, more, Mo versus more Problems. Again, my favorite username of the day right there. It uh, doesn't look exactly the same, but then that creates another problem because J. Jonah Jameson has been portrayed by J.K. Simmons in both the original Spider-Man trilogy and at the end of Homecoming. Why would he look like the same in different universes, but... Uh, Peter Parker and other characters wouldn't. This may not be a deal breaker for most people, but I think this would bug me if they did do a multiverse story and didn't explain it. Can you think of a way they could explain uh, this through the story? Again, I don't think anybody's going to care more, more versus. I really don't. I don't think there is a single average movie fan who's going to care. And by the way, I don't think JK as J. Jonah in that last post-credit scene was meant to be anything more than Hey, everybody, look, it's JK as JJ, J Jonah again. That's, I think that's all it was. I really think we're looking too much into it. So on two levels, I think we're overthinking what the significance was of JK playing. I think that was strictly there for the fans to be all excited. I don't think they were introducing, look, everybody, in this complex multiverse, the doppelganger of J Jonah from the other Spider-Man universe is now in this Spider-Man. I don't think they were doing that. I really think it was just for the fans. And Rob, it's not a good thing. I said this coming out of Spider-Man Far From Home, which I did like. I like Spider-Man Far From Home quite a bit, actually. But it's not a good thing that the best part of your movie is your after credit scene. But that Jade, nothing else in Spider-Man Far From Home got as big of a pop from the audience as them seeing J, J.K. Simmons, Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons, up there again on the screen as J. Jonah. Granted, with a very, very different haircut. But uh, I don't know. Do you think there's deeper meaning to that? Or do you think it was kind of throwaway the way I do? Or is this something in the middle? No, I, I look, I think when they if they had J. Jonah Jameson coming back in, I, I think that that's everyone likes him as J. Jonah Jameson. Um, it, it was interesting. I think it was a precursor. I mean, it clearly shows that they were thinking about these universes. I mean, that was no accident. Like everything else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they planned this stuff out. They know what they're doing. They announced Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness how long ago? So they know and I don't know how that's going to work out, but I think there's a plan. Yeah. And listen, that's not to say that I don't think we won't say see JK back again at some point. I think we will. But I just think when they did it, it was clearly for, you know, the fans and get to get that big pop. All right. Anyway, next up. 
Um, let's see. Uh, here we go. Tyler uh, Pfeiffer writes, they've referenced Mephisto a ton on the show. Devils in the details, the rabbit's name, uh, Scratchy from the talent show. Agnes's husband's name is Ralph, which is Mephisto's name in, in the comic books. Uh, and on the back of the toaster from episode one, the number 666 were upside down the back. Again, that is, you're interpreting that as a reference to Mephisto. I think there's a lot of things, and Rob, this is what I was saying before, and I don't know what you think about this. I think there's a lot of things in all MCU but particularly in WandaVision that are just kind of winks and nods and little Easter eggs and little things that are planted around that I don't know that it's going to play into having bigger things. But that's why I was saying that Mephisto being there does connect a lot of dots, right? Because you're right, Ralph uh, is the name, which is Agnes's husband that we never see. That is mm -hmm. the name that Mephisto uses uh, in the things. Um, there are dots that connect. That's why I don't think I don't think it's a crazy theory at all. And that's why a lot of people do have the theory that it's going to be Mephisto. And after episode four, I could totally change my mind. I, I'm changing my theories episode by episode. As new evidence and new things right, comes up, right. I'm changing my theories as we go. But all I'm saying is right now, today, Monday, January the 25th, I don't think it's going to be Mephisto, but I don't think you're crazy for thinking that it will be, and I'm not going to fall out of my chair in shock if it is, and maybe I'll even have that theory myself after episode four, but right now that's that's kind of where I'm at. Oh gosh, we're running, at, we're out of time for Rob, but let's get in one more here while Rob is still with us. Um, next up is Internet Ted who writes, um, where are we at? Is there any truth that Pietro was killed off because Fox at the time would only allow him to be an age of Ultron, which is why he was never mentioned again in later films of till now. I, to the best of my knowledge, that is not true. To the best of my knowledge, that is not true. Uh, I don't think that they would have even made the deal to bring in the character if they had no flexibility other than to use them for one film. If they had plans to use them for more than one film, I don't see them making that deal. So, I mean, it's it's possible, I suppose. I haven't read the contracts, but my I have not heard anything that backs up that theory. Rob, have you heard anything about that before? No, but the thing is, I mean, they, they used him. So uh, it's not like they, why couldn't you mention him? You can say anything you want. You know, it's not, it, he was in Age of Ultron. It's not like they can't not reference a movie they've made before they, they so it's not if if i mean if they were going to show him again and and have the character show up again it might be a little different but obviously the fact that they were able to put him in the movie in the first place you know there's overlapping deals because the characters that are in x-men have been in fantastic four and it depends what what the deals actually said but now they own it all so it doesn't matter i agree rob I know we've kept you over time already. Appreciate that, man. Uh, this is your last appearance for the week because it's my last appearance for the week. Too. Yes. Uh, thanks again for being here today, Rob. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all of your glory and goodness online? Uh, you can find me on um, where Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter, Burnett RM, or find me on my, my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. All right, dude, thanks a lot for being here. And uh, we'll see you again on Monday. My I'm sure I'll talk to you before then, but we'll see you again on Monday. Good luck with the move. Thanks, dude. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. All right, man. Okay, guys, that is the one and the only, the magnificent one himself, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And guys, listen, we still have a few, uh, we still have about 20 minutes left here. So let's keep on going through your questions that you guys have sent in, shall we? Next up is Kyle Long, who writes, 
Uh, there was something eerie about the way it didn't rewind like the last episode, but uh, the way it just cuts back and the suspenseful music just stops. Oof, chills. Yeah, you're right, because in previous things, like when she goes, talking about WandaVision, she goes, no. Things rewind. But this time in episode three, when Vision starts to clue in to something's wrong here, it just, boom, it just cut. Instead of a rewind, and you're right, Kyle, that had a really creepy effect, and I like that a lot. All right, Mr. Intellectual writes, let's try this again. Uh, you and I know that art is subjective. If a college professor teaches students that art is objective, should they be fired? Actually, you've written in this question before, Mr. Intellectual. We've addressed this question before already on the show. Uh, should they be fired? Uh, I say yes. Uh, it insults their intelligence and brainwashes them into having that mindset no, I'm not going to get into that. I mean, listen, art is subjective. It purely is. There's no arguing it. If an art teacher, I don't really care what an art teacher teaches. I'm not an art teacher, so I don't really care. So no, if, if an art teacher has a wrong opinion about something, guess what? Every teacher is going to have a wrong opinion about certain things. I will have wrong opinions about certain things. You have wrong opinions about certain things. And maybe we just don't realize we have them yet. And later on, we figure it out. But everybody does. So no, I'm not, I'm not going to say an art teacher needs to be fired. That, anyway, that's outside the preview of what we talk about here. Uh, at any rate. But thank you for sending in the question, Mr. Intellectual. Next up, Kyle Long writes, all right, hear me out. What if Agnes's husband, Ralph, is the shadow main baddie of the show? I say shadow because I think Wanda is the big bag of the big bad of the show. Agnes looks scared, but what if she was scared of her husband? She's probably there to keep the ruse. I mean, listen, no, that is the predominant theory, right? I mean, the very that if Mephisto is in here, and I'm still not convinced he is, but I could change my mind next week. But if Mephisto is in here, then by definition, he's the shadow bad guy because he hasn't appeared yet. We haven't seen him yet. Uh, he's the guy behind the scenes kind of pulling the strings that we don't even know about yet. So if he's there, then by definition, Kyle, you're absolutely right. He is the shadow bad guy because I do I believe a lot of this is one to two. But again, our theories are evolving as new episodes come out and I might have a totally different theory by the time uh, by the time we get to uh, by the time we watch episode four and get the uh, the line of uh, the headset out of my hair. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Kyle. Uh, next up, uh, the real Michael Myers writes. Hey, John and Anne. Anne's not here, obviously. Uh, I love when you two do live streams together. Uh, did you catch a break in the show? There was a cut in the film, and then she was about to go into labor. Do you think that Wanda was responsible to change the narrative in the show? I No, I think that was more of a creative season of the show. I mean, I don't think anybody watching WandaVision wants to watch a childbirthing scene. I mean, call me crazy, but I don't think anybody there has a childbirth is interested in watching a childbirthing scene. Um, so no, I think that was probably a show decision. I think personally, I think that was a show decision. Um, but listen, and by the way, real Michael Myers and everybody else, it looks like you sent in this for the open spoiler discussion. Remember when we do the open spoiler discussions, whether it's for uh, Mandalorian or whether it's for WandaVision or when Cap or, or uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier starts that remember you don't send in questions for the open spoiler discussions in the regular tip link that you do for the John Campia show. We want to make sure we keep them organized. We know which questions are for the John Campia show and which questions are for, are for the live spoiler discussions. So when you're sending a, a question for the live spoiler discussion, you'll use the super chat feature in YouTube as we're doing the show live. 
not the tip questions. Just want to make sure uh, you know that because clearly this was sent in for the live chat because you mentioned Anne, who is awesome. But anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. All right, Kyle uh, Long writes, over or under 17% that Alfred Molina or Jamie Foxx show up in the post credit scene uh, for the season finale since Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, Far From World Homes is the next story. I, I, I'm going to go under 17%. Now, I've said this before, I will say it again. I do believe there is a higher chance that somebody from the upcoming Spider-Man movie pops up in the post credit scene if there is a post credit scene of WandaVision than somebody from Doctor Strange 2 because the next movie in this story arc is Spider-Man, not Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange comes later. So that's why I think there's a higher chance of somebody from Spider-Man showing up than, say, Stephen Strange showing up, right? But I don't think that's impossible either. But still, Molina or Jamie Foxx, I'm going to go under 17% on that. I will go under 17% on that. But it's not impossible. Let's see what happens. All right, SC writes, what if the babies are mutants and it's setting up the X-Men universe? I don't think it is, so I don't really think that's something to worry about right now. I don't think, they would, I don't think they would use a second side plot in a television show to introduce the new theatrical thing of X-Men. I don't think they would do that, so I don't think that's something we need to worry about. All right, Kyle Long writes, adding to Medjman's GI comment, remember that in Avengers Age of Ultron, Wanda mind-controlled people to leave their homes to get away from the city in Sokovia. And yes, I mean, that's why we're talking about one of the primary theories about WandaVision right now is that all the people in this fantasy world are real people that she is controlling and holding captive which kind of puts a very dark spin on WandaVision under the veneer of this 50s, 60s sitcom. Hello, dear, let's have dinner and blah, blah, blah. And everything's joyous and happy while underneath is simmering this very, very dark undertone that this is these are hundreds of people who are being held as prisoners against their will in this fantasy of Wanda. It is very, very, it's interesting. It's interesting. We'll see how that plays out. All right, Oscar L., uh, writes in tips in a $20 tip. Thank you, Oscar. Appreciate that, man. And Oscar writes, John, instead of seeing Mecha Godzilla in Kong versus Godzilla, I personally think we will see a revived King uh, Ghidorah because he's an alien, right? Anyway, I think that would be really dope thoughts. Well, I mean, remember at the end of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, uh, uh, Tywin Lannister, <laughs> Uh, walks in and gets the body of of Ghidorah, right? So that's a possibility. But I believe at second three or second four of the new Godzilla versus Kong trailer, you see Mechagodzilla. I believe you see Mechagodzilla in the trailer. As people are running down into the subway up in the up in the sky, you see, I believe that's Mechagodzilla rocking by. Remember, we've already seen Mechagodzilla, the toy things leak. So I think that's more of a possibility here. But Again, because of the way King of the Monsters ended, that's what you're suggesting, Oscar, is not impossible in the least. So, yeah, let's see what happens with that as we get closer. All right, next up, Johnny Wall writes, uh, my 15 favorite movies ever in no particular order, except for number one. Uh, number one, 12, 12 Angry Men is amazing. Uh, misery, silence, guys, please use spaces. I, this is very difficult to read. Uh, 12 Angry Men, Misery, Misery is great. That is a very overlooked film. Uh, one Academy Awards, anyway. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, Goodwill Hunting, also one of fabulous. The Green Mile, fabulous Tom Hanks, a Michael Clark Duncan movie. Uh, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, Collateral, Prestige, No Country for Old Men, Dark Knight, Prisoners, and number one, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption to me is has to be when you, whenever you have a conversation 
about the greatest, um, the greatest movies of all time, the greatest made movies of all time. Shawshank Redemption to me has to be in that conversation. I believe it, it, it has to be in the top three or four greatest films ever made. Like, I really think it's that good. Um, it's just, it's so powerful. The characters are so well, so multidimensional and so well fleshed out. The narrative and the story, the emotional connections, it's just, to me, absolutely phenomenal. So I love your choice there, Johnny Wall. I love your choice. All right, next up, Dark Knight Rises writes, Hey, John, uh, you've mentioned before a general dislike of religious shows. I am hearing a show called The Chosen, which is getting generally good reviews. Do you know anything about it? Don't know anything about it. Again, I don't necessarily have a general dislike for religious shows. I have a general dislike for religious movies. Um, and that came, it's not because I'm anti-religious, not at all. I developed my hatred of religious movies when I was in seminary. <laughs> so that's where I developed my hatred of religious movies was when I was actually in seminary. So, um, but I don't like preachy movies, especially when it comes to preachy movies, really pushing a, uh, a particular religious belief. Uh, I don't mind having religious characters in movies. Not at all. Actually, I find those very refreshing because there are real people. Like I like seeing them in things, but uh, yeah, I don't like preachy movies and that goes both ways. Like I, there was the one, um, I think the one, why am I forgetting the name of the guy? Um, hold a second. Let me, I, I gotta, uh, the first, let me see if I can remember the name of this movie. Cause there was a movie that was, uh, directed by Ricky Gervais and I'm trying to remember the name of it. The invention of lying. That's it. So like you get all these Christian faith-based movies, they're just all preachy and I hate that. But I also hate the opposite. Like Ricky Gervais did this movie called The Invention of Lying. I really like Ricky Gervais, but the whole movie was just him preaching the whole thing about his atheistic religious position, right? And I hate that too. Like I just, movies that do that, I just hate them. They don't sit well with me. It's like, okay, so you didn't make this movie to make a movie. You made this movie as nothing but a pulpit to preach your particular belief on religious matters, whether it's pro or against. And I don't like either. I don't like either. That's just me personally, but that is what it is. Uh, but I don't know much about the show. So no, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the chosen. And by the way, I'm not against movies that have religious themes. I just don't want movies that like the whole purpose of the movie is to be a pulpit, to preach a religious belief, whether it is a pro anti, whatever. I just don't like preaching movies, but that's just me. Uh, I'm not trying to push that on anybody else. You don't have to think the same way I do. I'm just saying you asked me the question. So that's my thought on it. All right. Uh, next up, Nick writes, what if her no more mutants moment is more kids after realizing hers aren't real. And that's what happens to all the kids in Spider-Man. Again, we covered that a little bit earlier. That is a very dark take. But I wouldn't write it off. Again, I believe when we look, there are screenshots from Spider-Man 3. There are set shots that have come out from Spider-Man 3. And one of those shots is the shot of this, this bulletin board where people are posting flyers. And most of the flyers on the bulletin board are about missing children. Some people think that's because of the snap. But remember now, we're years removed from the snap. I don't think those are flyers about the snap missing children. I think, and I can't back this up. This is just a fan theory. I think that has something to do with the plot of Spider-Man 3, that children have gone missing. 
since we know this movie is going to be tied into WandaVision, what if those missing children are either Wanda has kidnapped those children to put them in her fantasy world, or what if she's so distraught and breaks so thoroughly by the end of WandaVision that she's just like, then there will be no children and just wipes children off the face of the earth. I mean, again, that's a really, really dark turn. And I don't know if the MCU will go that dark, but then again, they wiped out half of humanity. So why wouldn't they do that again? I don't know. But it's it's an interesting, interesting thought. And we'll have to see how that turns out, Nick. All right, next up, uh, Dark Knight Rises writes, Hey, John, just heard you and Rob talking about getting choked up in various scenes in Return of the King. For me, seeing Theoden dying and the look in his eyes reminded me of my dad's looking at me in his passing. Oh, that's touching, man. Uh, maybe there should be a list of such films. Well, that is totally powerful moment. And, and one of the beautiful things about movies, Dark Knight, is when a movie... Movies are experiential events, and they become particularly powerful when we can see ourselves in the movies, either as individual characters or circumstances that we ourselves have found us in. I know that's why, for me, the movie Clerks 2, which is a you know a raunchy comedy, but the circumstances of Clerks 2, when I saw that movie, spoke directly to me because I was in a similar situation. I had a very close, tight-knit group of friends living where I was living at the time that I basically considered family, but I was considering moving, moving away for a job opportunity. And those are the issues being covered in Clerks too. And so when we come across a movie that we either identify with individual characters or circumstances, it creates that extra layer of a bond, right? And for something as powerful as your situation that you're just talking about, that would even like ump it up it an awful lot. And I could totally see why that moment would then be very, very powerful for you. And I thank you for sharing that, man. That's a great observation. All right. Brazilian dude writes, John, hear me out. I always love it when people start their thing with hear me out. (laughs) I always love it when that they start that way. Right. So hear me out above or below 25% that Wanda is actually the villain of Dr. Strange too. Dude, I've been saying that for six months. Um, the more I see of WandaVision, the more I lean towards above loving the the slow burn. Yeah. I'm liking the slow burn too, but I will go above. Yeah. I'm not saying it definitely is. I have no proof that she's going to be the thing, and I won't be surprised if she's not. But right now, my guess is that Wanda is the villain or at least antagonist of Doctor Strange 2. I think we're going to see a Planet Hulk scenario here that she is just so powerful and she's going mad that she's just too much of a danger to the Earth. She's just too much a danger to the earth. And like in Planet Hulk, where the Illuminati had to get up, which, you know, included uh, Submariner and Professor X and Reed Richards, and they all had to get together and say, listen, Hulk is too much of a problem. Hulk is too dangerous to the entire planet. We got to get, he got to go. Hulk got to go. So they put Hulk on a spaceship and just flung him out into space and he ended up on a gladiatorial world and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I think we could be seeing elements of that with Wanda. Again, they could go in a totally different direction, but for now, Brazilian dude, I got to take over on that. All right. Uh, Baylor girl writes in my crazy WandaVision slash Spider-Man connection theory. When Wanda and Vision, Vision's children are eventually taken, she wants everybody to feel her pain and utters the words, no more children, like no more mutants. Uh, all children disappear everywhere. Again, we've been talking about that. Right now, that seems very viable. And again, what an incredibly dark turn uh, this show is taking 
if they do indeed end up going that way. I mean, I'll listen, I'll be impressed with, with uh, Disney plus and with Marvel. If they have the, or if they're willing to go that dark, but that is dark. And if that connects in, so I'm with you, Baylor girl, I'm totally with you on that right next up. Eddie Burton writes, I may be thinking too much into this, but what if Warner Brothers continues to run their company the way they have been the last year? Can you see them remaining the respected and distinguished movie studio they've been for so long, five to 10 years from now? Well, no, listen, Um, filmmakers now hate them. James Gunn is pissed off at them. Denis Villeneuve, the hottest director in Hollywood right now, hates them. Christopher Nolan doesn't want to work with them anymore. Will Smith has problems with them. The actors, the filmmakers, the story writers, they're all pissed off at Warner Brothers right now. And if they keep treating, like Warner Brothers used to be the studio that really took care of their filmmakers, for good or for bad, and sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't so good, but their underlining philosophy was treat your filmmakers good. Treat your filmmakers well. Now, we are a filmmaker studio. Christopher Nolan said, you know, filmmakers went to bed thinking they worked for the best movie studio. They woke up realizing they worked for the worst streaming studio. And yeah, no, they've already lost all the respect of most filmmakers. Now, most filmmakers don't actually want to work with them. Then again, money talks and we'll see how AT&T money changes people's minds. But no, they're AT&T is going to have to reel it in and start letting the Warner Brothers people run things again. But uh, but yeah, they are they are losing respect amongst the, their fellow industry and the artists at a very, very rapid pace. Again, uh, some of the most prominent ones out there are already kind of hating their guts. From James Gunn, Denis Villeneuve, other directors, Christopher Nolan. They, these people have worked with Warner Brothers for a long time or have been excited to work for Warner Brothers. Now they don't want to have anything to do with them. So something's got to change. Something has to change. We'll see what it is. All right. Thanks, thanks for that, Eddie. Next up, Loki is my favorite, writes. I love Loki too, man. Hey, John, a couple of weeks ago, I had asked if certain people would be included in Oscars in memoriam when uh, the, their time comes. As the Grammy Awards also have this in their program, do you believe Phil Spector will be included this year? In the Grammys? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I doubt... Listen, I know nothing about the Grammys. I don't care about the Grammys. I know nothing about it, so whatever. Uh, Phil Spector, I don't see why they would put him in there, so probably not. But again, I don't know anything about the Grammys, so I, I, I really have no educated opinion on that. I can't remember the last time I watched the Grammy Awards. I was probably like 15 the last time I watched Grammy Awards, so no opinion. But I would have a hard time imagining anybody would include him in that. All right, next up, uh, Trigpool writes, Hey, John, I think the base that we saw at the end of WandaVision is the location where all the post-Endgame technology is stored. Kevin Feige confirmed a cutscene from Endgame. Uh, there was Wanda breaking into Retrieve Vision's body, so Westview is under attack. I mean, maybe that's it. Listen, there's been a theory going around Trigpool that, that the Vision we see is actually Vision's body, but being infused with a version of him it's not really uh it's not really vision and part of the reason wanda is so desperate to keep vision from figuring out what's going on is she doesn't want vision to realize that he's not a real boy because she's trying to keep herself remember in wanda vision the first primary person that wanda is trying to fool is herself the main person wanda is trying to fool is wanda She's trying to keep herself immersed in that. 
And whenever things start, like when whenever Vision starts realizing something's wrong here and she starts to realize something's wrong, she's like, wait a minute, just, just go back to where I'm not, where I'm oblivious to this. I don't want to, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to know about this. And then she puts herself back in. So that's totally, that's totally a possibility. Uh, Trig pool. That's totally a possibility. All right. Ismail writes, who took a bigger beating Batwoman season two premiere or Calvin Qatar? Uh, wait a second. I'm, I'm freezing in my head. Who was Calvin, uh, Qatar again? I know we just talked about Calvin Qatar and right now I can't even remember, uh, who we're talking about. You talking about the guy who fought Max Holloway. I'm thinking, hold on, let me, let me bring it up. Let me bring it up. Where is it? Oh yeah. Okay. Katara is the guy who fought Max Holloway. Katara is the guy who fought, fought Max Holloway. Oh my God. The beating that dude took. I mean, seriously, how, how good is Dustin Poirier? Think about this. Max Holloway just put on the greatest MMA performance I have ever seen. I've never seen a single MMA performance as good as Max Holloway did against a tough son of a bitch in Qatar. Tough son of a bitch. And Dustin Poirier easily beat Max Holloway. That's how good Dustin Poirier is. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about that. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for putting that in there, man. I knew, wait, was like, why is Qatar? Well, I was just talking about Qatar, but I was thinking about a Star Wars character for some reason. All right, thanks for putting that in there, Ismail. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, uh, wait, so did I just have a jump? No, looking pretty good still. Uh, anonymous viewer writes, I recently just started binging The Simpsons on Disney+. Plus. Nice. Uh, this show, as well as many others, is making me want to get into animation. I'm already a graphic uh, design major, I am so I am seriously considering it. And why not, man? Now's the time to do it. There's never been a better time to get into animation. Because with so many now streaming platforms coming that are all desperately looking for content and animation as expensive as it is, is seen as a relatively more inexpensive way of doing it and getting that stuff. I think there is a big field for animation. If I had any talent whatsoever, which I do not, I like when it comes to sketching or anything, I would totally be into animation right now, but I'm not, if you've got it, man, I'd say go for it. I would totally say go for it. Uh, let's see. Uh, next up garden variety vagabond rights. One of two. Hey, John, two shows I want to share that use the pandemic in very different and interesting ways in their return. MacGyver is truly, I didn't even know MacGyver was still on. I thought the MacGyver reboot was done. I didn't even know it was still going. Anyway, MacGyver is truly a guilty pleasure, but they use the pandemic to study the pressure on relationships in closed quarters, which is a good approach. Um, Two of two. The second is a truly amazing show all around, Euphoria. They made two special episodes, each focusing one of the two main characters. Shot due to limits as mainly one-on-one -on -one talks with third-party confessors, showing beautiful depth of character, Emmy-worthy. You know what's funny? So, the Zendaya um, show, Euphoria, I heard great things about it. And I thought, and I like Zendaya and I thought, okay. And I, I, HBO to me is the king of content. HBO makes the best content. So I checked out Euphoria because I heard such great things about it. I, I didn't enjoy it. I'm not saying it wasn't made with excellence, but I, maybe it's just not for me, but I, I watched uh, like the first three episodes and I'm like, yeah, this isn't for me. Again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it wasn't done well, but I, I just, you know, there's some shows that do click with you and some shows, even if they're great, that just don't click with you. And Euphoria was one for me that just didn't click for me and, and didn't work. And it's won a lot of awards and it's gotten a lot. Of, and I've heard really great things about these special episodes that they've done. 
Uh, I didn't know they were based on the pandemic, but that's pretty interesting that they did. So thanks for sharing that garden variety. All right, guys, just time for a couple of quick uh, ones left here. Uh, if you don't answer this, right, WandaVision, more like Wanda's vision. Uh, action scenes are given in the MCU, but I can go the whole season with the Twilight Zone vibe. Uh, not for most MCU fans, but I like variety in the MCU, and I would love it if they made a mockumentary. No, listen, again, this is something we've been talking a lot about when it comes to WandaVision, which is audiences are constantly screaming, give us something new, give us something different. But we as audiences have to understand if a franchise does do something really, really different, by default, that means a certain chunk of people won't like it because it's so different. We say we want different, but as soon as they give us different, it won't work for some people. And we have to be ready to accept that. WandaVision is so completely bonkers different than everything else they've done in the MCU so far that it's only natural that it's not working for some people. I think that's understandable. It's like, what is this? Like, I watched the MCU for one thing, not, and then you're giving us something totally different. Well, people were asking for different. And there are people like me that it's really working well for, and people like you that it's really working well for, but it won't be for everybody. Everybody, But it's just, you know, when we ask filmmakers to, to do something bold, do something completely different, give us something out of left field, we just have to be prepared that when they do that, a certain percentage of people it won't work for. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's perfectly understandable, but uh, that's kind of the payoff. And I, I, I'm with you, man. For me, it is working. It's working quite well. So that's, that's my thought on it at any rate. All right. Dark Knight Rises writes, does anyone notice a similarity between Bond and Batman uh, in form of the support around them? Batman has Alfred, Gordon, Lucius Fox around him. Bond has MQ, Money Penny, and Tanner. I find the hero's care uh, caretakers as interesting as the hero itself. Well, I mean, really, that's not unusual, nor is it limited to just Bond or Batman. I mean, even if you go to CW, look at, uh, I mean, look at Arrow of Arrowverse, right? Arrow's got the Trinity at Diggle. Uh, I mean, he had he had the entire support system around him. If you look at Flash, Flash has his team around him. If you look at Black Lightning, Black Lightning has his characters around him, including Dexter's dad who built his suit for him. I mean, um, when you look at these things, they all have a certain support system, right, around them. So uh, you're absolutely right. You're 100% right, Dark Knight. Uh, but I would just say it's not exactly limited, nor was it originated with like Bond or Batman. But you are you are right in your uh, observation there. All right. Uh, last one of the day, guys. Comes to us from Wesley Cunningham, who writes, Hey, John, loving WandaV WandaVision. Thanks so much for writing that in because I am with you on that. Uh, this is looking like the most unique and character-driven storytelling the MCU has done thus far. Feige's got to have carte blanche to get literally any idea greenlit at his point. Well, he's the one who does the greenlighting. Uh, uh, two of two, without spoiler, I feel like what we what we know so far about what is happening and what Wanda may lose from stopping it, I can see this ending tragically. I think one of the more uh, big loss trauma enough for her to fully say screw it and just go apeshit on everyone, uh, there's that MCU action finale for you. Listen, I 100% I agree, Wesley. Whatever theory ends up being right or wrong about WandaVision, I believe WandaVision is going to end badly. And I, I don't mean bad. I mean, it could be awesome, but it's going to end badly. This thing is going to end up being a tragedy. It already is a tragedy. 
right? The whole life of Wanda is a tragedy. Wanda's entire life has been one ongoing Shakespearean tragedy. From growing up poor, her parents dying as a result of, you know, the, 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 the stark explosive later on losing her, then being tortured and experimented on by Strucker. Then the death of her brother. Then she finds a new family in the Avengers and the family splits up. We get civil war. Then she falls in love with vision and has to watch him die. Not once, but twice. One of the times she had to kill him herself. Then she got to watch Thanos pick him up like a rag doll and rip half of his face off. The entire story of Wanda is a Shakespearean tragedy. And then remember the last time we saw her was at Endgame, uh, at Tony's funeral, which again, by the way, where was Black Widow's funeral? Anyway, at Tony's funeral, her and Hawkeye having that conversation and you could just tell as Wanda was talking to Hawkeye, she was broken. She was, that's, a, it's, Wanda's now broke. She is broken in that scene. And now we see this show WandaVision, which ultimately at its core is a tragedy about a woman dealing with unimaginable grief. And whatever twists and turns the rest of this show takes by the end, it's not going to be a happy ending. There is something bad, I believe, is happening at the end of this show. And I could be dead wrong about that. Maybe it's like, whoo, Wanda and Vision. Boy, Vision's a good thing we figured out what Mephisto was doing and we stopped him. You're right, darling. Let's go visit New York and see how Spider-Man is doing. I mean, maybe, maybe the show ends that way. It's possible. I don't have any insider information, but my feeling as just a fan and as a viewer watching, my feeling is this is not going to end well. From the beginning of this veneer of happy 50s, oh, darling, look, everything's wonderful and we're all so happy and everything's perfect. And it's going to end bad. And maybe Wanda ends up being the hero. I still suspect, as I have for the last six, six months, that she's actually going to end up being the antagonist of this whole thing. But one way or the other, I think this thing is going to end badly. And I think they're going to do it in a great way that makes it very compelling from a narrative point of view. But it's going to end badly. Wesley. I think it's really going to end badly. All right, listen. For everybody else, from Ty Miller, Cobra Kai Never Dies, Quintus Deshaun, um, fucking told all of you, uh, Mike and Onward, don't worry. Even though this is the last episode of the John Campy Show for the week, I am going to do a companion video to make sure we get caught up on all of your questions that you guys have sent in up to this point. You sent in those questions with some great fun topics and you supporting this channel while you're doing it. I'm not going to make you wait a week to get these questions answered. I'm going to do companion video, but it won't be from this room. It'll probably be from some bunker somewhere with a laptop, but I will get that done. Hey guys, listen. It's, uh, it's moments like this that make me reflect a little bit, uh, now changing locations and stuff. You know, when I started the John Campia show, when I left my corporate safe paycheck paying job to go out on my own, I had no idea if it was going to work. I just knew that I believed in, in myself and always bet on yourself, always bet on yourself. And I decided to bet on myself. And, and here we are now, years later, still running, still going. Uh, Ann and I are able to buy our first home. And a lot of the shows we've done have happened in this room. 
And I still remember when we first moved into this space. Um, and a lot of, we've done a lot of great shows, a lot of great memories from this space, and I'm looking forward to moving into the new one. And I just want to thank again, all of you guys for being here, uh, letting me being a part of this community, um, being so active, so supporting, like it's just from the, from the emails and, and messages you guys send me in comments as well. So supportive for, for financially supporting this channel and making it happen from our Patreon supporters to you guys sending in all these great topics uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just thank you guys so much. And, uh, it is weird. This is going to be the last time that I sign off from this room and I'm looking forward to moving into the new space and uh, for the John Campus show returning. But don't forget, guys, Friday, other than the companion video I'm doing Friday, uh, Ann and I are going to even though we will have just moved in a few hours earlier, the movers will move the last of our stuff in. My studio will be all set up and ready to go Thursday. So Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll be doing our WandaVision episode four open spoiler discussion. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys then. So, all right, guys, of course, don't forget to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, and to this room, bye-bye.